Hey Enneagram friends, this is Abby, your IA accredited Enneagram coach and certified somatic experiencing practitioner. And today I have a special guest on the episode that is going to teach us all about sexuality and each of the nine Enneagram types. And I'm telling you, you are not going to want to miss this episode. For this teaching episode, I am joined by Sam E. Greenberg, who is a sexuality researcher and also an Enneagram coach that specifically specializes in sex and relationships. She's currently in the process of competing her PhD in psychology, and her research is focused on how our Enneagram type impacts patterns of sexual desire as well as sexual expression. And this conversation is chock full of a wealth of information, but also practices. As Sam talks through some of these different aspects, she offers some practices uh, to keep in mind, to try on, to try out, to alleviate some of these blind spots or some of these um, habits that each type gets stuck in. We are going to walk through all of the nine types, but in this first part one episode, we are going to talk about type one through to type five. And as you are listening, if you get to a space where something doesn't land with you as much about your type, or maybe you're hearing your partner's type and and it doesn't seem like it really resonates with them, I want to encourage you to come back and listen to the end of our conversation in part two, when Sam shares some of her findings about how the, the instincts relate to sexuality. When you lay those instincts over top of the type structure, there can be some really counterintuitive tendencies that show up. We're gonna explore instincts in the virtual event at the end of February, the one hour Zoom workshop for couples exploring instincts and our instinctual stacking. And so this conversation with Sam is also a really good primer um, for that conversation we will have at the workshop with your partner. So the link for that virtual workshop is in the show notes. So I hope that you will join. It's gonna be a really great time to to be curious and learn more about yourself and your partner and your relationship. Okay, friends, without further ado, this is my conversation about sex and the Enneagram with Sam E. Greenberg. Thank you so much for being here, Sam. It feels like such a gift for us to get to explore uh, sexuality with the Enneagram framework combined and and kind of laid over that. Um, So thank you so much for being a part of this teaching episode. Thanks for having me, Abby. Yeah. So, um, you know, for those of you listening, Sam and I connected a little bit ahead of time, and there are so many things that Sam can teach us about, so many facets that we can look into. But what I thought might be most helpful for us as we are exploring human sexuality with regards to the Enneagram was really having an opportunity for Sam to uh, teach us about some of the habits that are more noticeable for each of the nine types and and some of the you know sexual hangups and and maybe some of these practices that we can incorporate into that. Um, but Sam, before you kind of start into teaching us, I would love to know you know what was your process of coming to these findings of gleaming this information and um, this facet of of Enneagram wisdom with regards to sexuality? Great question. So I've been interested in this topic for probably going on seven years now. And um, as you probably can imagine, there was absolutely no information on this out there when I started looking into it. Now there's, um, you know, what I'm doing and a little bit of other other things as well. So um, I'm researching this. I'm actively researching this. My PhD study is on 
the relationship between sexual desire and expression and Enneagram type. Okay. So that study is running. I've collected all the data and I'm now working on analyzing it. So some of my insights are starting to be from that big study. um, But I also have before that study been working with clients because I'm an Enneagram coach and working just with people um, and through my own observations over time have gleaned some patterns that are, you know, proving to be true also in the data. Um, And then I have um, a pair of colleagues who are doing some qualitative research on sexuality and the Enneagram as well. My research is mostly quantitative, although mixed method. Um, And their results are sort of bearing out the same kind of thing. So it's a combination of ways of knowing and insight, but um, we're learning more all the time. Yeah, for sure. Well, and I love both that you are um, gleaming some of this information, or maybe it's even being confirmed with your clients, as well as um, some of the qualitative conversations and interviews that you're doing. Because I think, you know, for both of us being trained in the narrative tradition, having the ability for people to speak from their own type perspective and really let them teach us what is true for them, how they see the world, how that shows up. Um, that's so important in the way that that we approach the Enneagram from the narrative. And so that's really cool to get to hear that piece of it too. Absolutely. And I, I personally am an inductive researcher, which means starting from data details stories of people and then Mm. building a theory um which is right in line with the narrative so everything that i have to say basically has come from you know from people sharing it yeah oh i love that that's so good okay well we have um so much that we can learn from sam but we're going to try to focus it in a little bit um but we thought it was really important for you to have um, an opportunity to hear about your specific type rather than just some broad brushstrokes. And so um, Sam is gonna walk us through each of the nine types, um, giving us some more about you know, what it looks like for that type with regards to some of the you know sexual hangups in these habits. But there will be lots more that Sam can share with us that we won't be able to fit into, um, into this conversation. And so that is a great point to reach out to her and connect with her in a coaching space if you want to learn more or you have questions about some of the things that she shared. So just want to say that out loud before we get started. She won't be able to tell us everything that she knows. There's there's too much. <laughs> <laughs> there definitely is a lot. <laughs> so um, Sam, start us off. Um, we're going to just talk one all the way through nine, kind of going around the circle. But starting with our type ones, our reformers or perfectionists, you know, different authors giving different names. But, but our type ones, um, what are some of the things that are observable about their sexual hangups and some of the habits of that type one structure? Okay, so the type one, I would call the sexual ethicist. Okay. They um, have strong ethical viewpoints on sex. They really want to sort of do it, quote unquote, perfectly. Um, and the way that perfectly looks is going to vary from person to person, but there's like a right time, a right place, a right way. Mm. Um, and ones have an idea of how sex should be. And then they can actually become distressed when sex doesn't meet that ideal, their ideals. Oh, okay. So their ideal for, for one type one over here might be, you know, sex in the context of marriage only for another type one. It might be 
you know, we're polyamorous and we have sex. We have to have sex three times a week. It can totally vary between people. But the point is that the person has something in their head, an idea of what it should be like. And they kind of want sex to meet that idea. Okay. That's so interesting. What I think, I mean, it makes sense even as you talk through that, because I think so much of what comes up when I'm coaching individuals, not about sexuality, um, but are these internal standards that are so orienting and um, so strong in their, you know, the way that they're approaching motherhood or their relationship or their work environment um, and just the distress that is felt when those standards can't be met. Um, and so that's so interesting that that plays out in sexuality as, t- as well. Right. And sexuality, of course, we have, you know, our solo sexuality as well, but sexuality in general is something that we normally have to have other people involved in. And so for a one who wants to control things or have them meet a certain standard, when they're engaged in other things like housework, like a career, they have more control over their standards. But when we're talking about sexuality, it's another person involved usually and the one isn't necessarily able to control that. And yeah. um, their ideals can kind of rule over them and keep them striving for perfection rather than just being present to spontaneous sexuality. Yeah. Okay. So do you have thoughts with regards to this piece, this idealism around sexuality, um, ways that type ones can loosen that standard or maybe even just loosen or be more spontaneous around what is acceptable or what is the ideal or what is okay and is not okay with regards to sexuality? Absolutely. And I'm glad you asked that because I am big on, you know, practical applications of this information, not just a theorist. Um, Because I think, you know, knowing this is good, but we want to all get free of our our ego-driven proclivities. So, Yes. Um, for type one, um, I would say embrace spontaneity and loss of control in other areas of your life to the highest degree possible. And that'll be like, you're practicing that so that you can also do it in your sex life. Hmm. Um, I would say to cultivate meditation or therapeutic practices around the feelings that come up when you are out of control or can't control things. Yeah. And both of those are not directly related to sex, but they can help. And then directly related to sex, I would say, you know, play around with pre-agreed upon loss of control in your sex life Hmm. with a trusted person. Of course, Um, ones are going to maybe balk at this, but like a kind of calculated risk you want to um just take little baby steps towards the sex not looking like you have decided it should look let your partner be in charge let them um be the leader be in control and you sort of surrender to that yeah i love that well even just thinking about you know use the the word um play like being able to play around with that spontaneity even if it is kind of controlled with some parameters but even just thinking about how much play and that movement to type seven can be such a gift for type ones um and so finding ways to do that you know whether that's coming up with a list of things that you draw out of a hat or you know baby steps towards um some of that but that's such a gift Yes. List of things you draw out of a hat is going to come up a little bit later. I think maybe for sixes, I don't even remember right now, but um, that's really smart. And then 
with the movement to seven, what you see with like a really kind of enlightened one or a one who's worked on themselves a lot is you see that they um, embrace letting go chaos, creativity, risk, you know, playfulness and their sexuality. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. And even just um, rewinding a bit back to what you said about meditation, having some sense of what it feels like in your felt sense with regards to sexuality, whether that is thinking about it or beginning during after. I mean, just having some connection to the felt sense of your experience because that type one structure just so constricts down on the emotions that are arising, especially once they get into that category of of being out of control or um, being quote unquote bad. And so just having more connection to to that felt sense and realizing like, oh, I'm nervous or I'm excited or, you know, whatever is coming up for you. Um, that's a really great wisdom too. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, how about our, um, I know there's lots more we can say about ones, but, but how about our type twos? <laughs> okay. So type two is the sexual giver. Um, you can probably guess they're extremely focused on pleasing others, pleasing the partner. They desire sex that really nurtures the relationship. We know how important relationship is to twos. They can see sex and love as equivalent or sex as an affirmation that they're loved. So that's something kind of tricky to look out for. Okay. Um, they want to be reassured of their connection. So sometimes they can use sex for that. Um, and, and of course, all of these are, you know, when you're in your type, these are, are ego-driven sexual behaviors. So yeah. it's uh, not not going to generalize to everyone, especially people who've done more work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think even um, it's so helpful to frame it that way of it being a connecting point, because as soon as you said that, my first thought was, oh, that's great, right? Some types probably have trouble connecting the two. Um, but then the more that you talked about it, realizing, but if it gets tripped up in that, the ego structure of, of giving to get, right? The, some of these subliminal um, under the, you know, the subconscious messages that we're picking up on, um, that can be really dangerous, especially if you didn't actually want to engage in sexual behavior or you, you weren't at, um, you weren't aware of what was going on below the surface for you. So that's really helpful to say out loud too. Yeah. And, um, any of these things can be good or bad. They're not all bad. Um, but for the two, the pleasures, the, excuse me, the partner's pleasure is going to be paramount because they, want evidence that they're kind of indispensable to the partner. Hmm. Um, okay. So there's sexual, sexual giving, which is great, but for the two, it may be motivated by, you know, wanting to feel needed. Yeah. So then, and, yeah, well, go ahead. So, well, just thinking about the type two structure then. So is there a inverse reaction of um, negating their pleasure and their, desire or their ones um, with that sexual encounter because the emphasis is so much on their their partner? Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say next. Um, they, te they tend to know what their own pleasures and preferences are somewhere inside themselves, okay. but place them on the back burner and hope that the partner will reciprocate their sexual commitment yeah. without asking for it. Okay. Man, and that's so hard. Even as you say that out loud, I mean, even if you're a type two or a different 
Enneagram type, you can hear the problem in that of people can't read your mind. They're not going to know. They may never fumble into it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, man, that can be really challenging, even just hearing you say that out loud. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So how about some practices, some things that, um, you know, type twos not only can keep in mind, but maybe some practices to take some baby steps towards um, alleviating this this, um, tendency in their type structure? Yes. So communicate your sexual desires. Um, of course, that's going to be really difficult. So start small, even if it feels silly, but even if you have to write it down and like have your partner read it, if that feels easier, but communicate your desire, you know, ask for what you want and then work up to providing in the moment feedback and sort of like corrections to what your partner is doing to increase your own pleasure. So call that the stretch goal for twos. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Do you have any uh, advice around, you know, for some type twos, you said they had this innate sense of what they do want and it's hard to articulate it, but I'm sure for other twos, there's some sense of like, I don't even know what I would tell you. Like, even if I felt brave enough to articulate what I want and my desires, like, I don't know what they are. Do you have any advice on how they can start to unearth that for themselves? Yeah, that's a great point. That is something that comes up with nines as well. And, um, even threes to a lesser degree. And for any type that has trouble knowing what their desires are, I recommend um, like a solo sexual practice, a masturbation practice, you know, like really take time, juicy, put the blankets, put the candles, you know, whatever you like (laughs) and spend lots of time figuring out what feels good to you and your body, your emotions and, then bring that to the relationship. Yeah. Yeah. So almost in the same way that, you know, if you have of ones and desires with regards to how you function in the family unit or in a friend environment, like you need to take some time to unearth that and be curious about it. It's the same with sexuality. Mm-hmm. It's just a different, different playing field. Totally. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's helpful. Okay. So let's talk about, um, our type threes. What are some things that they can pay attention to and, and we can notice in the type three structure? Okay, so the sexual achiever, they want to be the best in bed. <laughs> so there's a a lot of similarities in the between the two and the three in terms of they're both going to be pretty oriented to the partner and pleasing the partner. Okay. Um, but the, it's motivated for totally different reasons. So the two is motivated, as we just said, by wanting to feel needed, loved, reassurance of the relationship. The three is motivated by performance. Like they want to be admired for being good. They want to make you feel good so that you think they're good. Mm-hmm. Um, they have trouble accessing their genuine sexual selves as well. And I would actually say even more so than two sometimes. Um, they can get caught up in performance. Like, is it good enough? Is it impressive enough? Are they the best lover their partner's ever been with? You know, was their past lover better? And because of this, we think of threes typically as they present as pretty confident, but they can experience a lot of performance anxiety um, in the bedroom. So sometimes um, 
sex can help threes access their sort of suppressed feelings because we know they're a feeling type, but they can be a bit heart suppressed. Yeah. Um, but that's sort of when they get more vulnerable. Yeah. Okay. When I think even, um, you know, it's just, it's so interesting hearing you talk through, it feels like um, such a hidden realm of sexuality for some of us, right? Not not for you that are doing so much research around sexuality, but for many of us feeling like, oh, this is so unknown. This is such a, a different world. Um, and then as you talk through the types, you know, only three so far, just realizing how much this like this shows up in everyday behavior, you know, these moments for a three of feeling outwardly confident and internally anxious or nervous or insecure mm. um, and how that impacts things, you know, whether that's the physical felt sense of feeling knots in your stomach and nervous or um, there being performance anxiety in, in a sexual encounter. And so it's just so fascinating to hear the overlaps. Yeah. Yeah. So how about for our type threes? What are some baby steps, some things that they can be mindful of or, or take on as practices as they're trying to navigate this piece? Okay. So first and foremost, remember that there's more to you than what other people can see. Yeah. Um, you're not on stage, right? So what happens with you alone or you and a partner, it's still important, even if no one else ever knows about it. Mm. So I would say for threes, definitely try a masturbation practice um, and not a like quick, put it on your to-do list and get it over with efficiently. Um, but again, like slow down, more enjoyable. What do you like? Because it's not just about pleasing someone else. Sex is about give and take. It's about the relationship between people and you have to get really real and genuine with yourself in order to experience that. Yeah. Yeah. When I would say even, um, you know, it's interesting you use the language of like, you're not on stage. Um, and I'm sure for some type threes that alleviate some of the pressure of like, you know, this can be like trial and error and there can be a natural, like slowly figuring this out and a slowly, um, evolving. But I also wonder if there's some type threes that feel like, oh man, it is just me then, you know, if it's not my role that I show up personified in a, you know, big work meeting or on stage or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, it's actually just me in this most intimate setting in this raw setting. Um, that can probably be nerve wracking even in and of itself for a three. Yeah. I, like you said, I think it can be, um, like a relief, but it can also be terrifying. Threes are really see themselves in what other people see. So if other people aren't seeing you, you know, who are you? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Again, I know there's lots more you can say about threes, but we're going to go on to, to our type fours. Okay, great. Um, so type four, the sexual romantic, you know, they really long for deep, authentic sexual experiences um, for many fours or even most fours emotional connection can precede desire so um, many fours report that they have to feel emotionally connected before they even feel sexual desire at all hmm. and that doesn't mean it has to be like a long-term partner fours can feel emotionally connected with someone they just met but they they really need that spark that emotional chemistry yeah. Fours can easily mistake 
um, like sexual intensity for healthy connection um, because fours are really intensity seeking, um, emotional intensity seeking. Um, So if they have a sexual relationship that provides a lot of emotional intensity, emotional feeling, they can think it's automatically good when it may or may not be. Yeah. Um, and they really need to like feel seen, um, along with experiencing desire. So they kind of want to have their deep emotional world reflected back to them. Hmm. Yeah. When you say the, um, that desire to be seen, does that feel like that shows up in uh, a prerequisite for um, being willing to, to enter into that sexual encounter? Or is it more of like in the actual act, um, there's this deep desire to be seen in, in that engagement? I suppose it would be both. I meant it more in terms of um, that's almost like a turn on for them, like feeling yeah. seen as a turn on. Yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, one of the pieces you mentioned of mistaking intensity for this deep emotional connection, um, just as much as that is, that can be a real captivating element. Um, I'm sure that also, you know, for fours listening, there's probably been periods and seasons and moments that that's gotten them into a little bit of trouble. So Mm -hmm. I'm curious what, (laughs) what practices could we offer, um, whether it's with regards to that piece or, or other aspects for our, our type fours to balance out some of these these tendencies in their type structure. Right. So the, the emotional highs and lows of an intense sexual connection is appeals to the forest desire to have meaning in every moment. Hmm. So uh, when they go to work on that, um, the mundane parts of relationships, the more routine parts of sexuality um, is something to focus on. Yeah. So what I would say is um, definitely beware of your intense craving for emotional intimacy. Like it feels righteous. It feels like that's the best thing that anyone can aspire to, but emotional intimacy and intensity is just one part of a full life. So try challenging yourself to kind of pass up an opportunity for deep emotional connection, like here and there Hmm. and to see what comes up for you. The feelings that come up for you are probably pretty difficult and sit with those and work on finding meaning in everyday reality. I say as sort of a joke, but sort of true, like write a poem about doing the dishes, <laughs> like get in touch with the beauty of the more mundane aspects of life. And then you'll be able to bring that into relationships, your appreciation for all aspects of relationship. And then also um, fours can sort of role play their, um, their longing or envy feelings. So you can sort of role play like longing for the partner and the life you already have or role play that they're, you know, sexy new stranger. Cause we know with fours also struggle with, um, w- you know, longing for things they don't have yet. Yeah. Hmm. You know, it, it's interesting, even as you talk through, um, you know, the, uh, the piece around, uh, craving that emotional connection and, and even just thinking how much just with individuals that I coach, um, sometimes in romantic relationships, 
there can be this fear that they're with the wrong person or someone is is not the one because mm-hmm. the flame is dwindled or their their heightened emotional state of, of how they felt captivated by and desired and um, consumed by that person in one season of life. Um, and now there's this, it's like, you know, we have kids and things are pretty ordinary and there's a lot of doing this and that that are mundane every day. And so then there becomes this real fear of like, I don't feel the same way. I don't feel this emotional intensity. Did I marry the wrong person or am I connected to the wrong person? Um, and so it sounds like that probably is also like really tied to that sexuality piece of, um, you know, this, there must be wrong with our sex life because it's not intense or this emotional um, aspect is it part of every single encounter. Yes, that is so insightful. So um, you said it perfectly. And when I mentioned like pass up an opportunity for emotional intimacy or chemistry, that's sort of a good example. Like if in you're in the situation that Abby just described and you happen to like meet someone else and because they're new you have a more of an emotional spark with them like that's great but like just try not engaging with it you know it's that's not well you see fours often do like a serial monogamy thing Mm -hmm. um because of what you described so like like, oh i guess this relationship should be over because it's not as intense and then they break up meet someone else same process so Definitely be aware of that. And that does play completely into sexual dynamics because for four, they're almost one in the same. The emotional chemistry and the sexual chemistry is one in the same. Yeah. Okay, man, that's so interesting. So interesting. Okay. Well, um, let's let's move on to our, our type fives and, and some of their habits and tendencies in their sexuality. Perfect. Okay. So um, fives uh, the sexual intellectual, they're often in a private relationship with sexuality as they're in a private relationship with most of life. Mm. Should I say we? Should I say that I'm a five? I'm a five. <laughs> you um, just added yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, that's what um, fives I tend to have like, you know, extra insight into. Um, so fives, um, even during partnered sex, like the five may be largely alone in their head and experiencing sex through a mental filter. So that's not to say that they're like thinking about philosophy while they're having sex, although they might be. <laughs> um, but they're probably thinking about sex while having sex, you know, rather than being totally present in the body. Huh. Um, so for this reason, fives really enjoy sexual fantasies and ideas. Um, sexy ideas are, are safer, more familiar and comfortable than embodied sexuality. And, um, fives are often really turned on by intelligence and other people. Um, and they often lack body presence, um, so there can be an experience from the partner's perspective as if the five isn't really there. Oh, okay. Could you describe what that might feel like for a partner to experience their type five um, partner as not there? Like, what might that feel like? Um, I think it's um, especially noticeable to instinct or body types Okay, who, who are really body oriented. I think it actually feels like, again, I can't say because I'm, I'm the fa- on the five side, but... Um, <laughs> 
as far as I know from talking to people, it, it actually can feel like you're like knocking on the door of a house and no one's home. Like the person's body is there, but it just feels like the, their soul isn't there, you know, like where are they? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's this quality of absence to a greater and lesser degree because fives often flit in and out of body presence. Less healthy fives may never be embodied and more healthy fives may be very embodied. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and even just thinking that aspect can be also true, you know, listening to your kid talk about their day at school when they come home or, you know, connecting on a dinner date with your partner. It doesn't have to be sexuality that, that flitting in and out of, you know, I always say the strong interior world, um, you can be physically present and mentally absent. And so that makes sense. Like the rest of the types of that shows up in sexuality too. Yeah. Great point. So, so what are some practices for our, our type fives to, to consider and to take on in this next season? Okay. Um, so first of all, be aware, um, of how this impacts other people. Um, mm. everyone should do that, but I always think of it more with fives, like, because fives can keep people at a distance, um, fives can sometimes become like inadvertently the leaders of sexual intimacy in their relationship. Like the partner's waiting until the five decides to show up. Hmm. And when they show up, it's like, okay, we have to quickly have sex while they're interested. And that can be really unfair. Like um, the the relationship comes to orbit around the five. So be really aware of that. Um, Notice where your presence is during sex and also during life. Yeah. Um, mindfulness type of meditation, um, is great for fives, you know, be where you are, be doing what you're doing. And when you're sexually intimate, like, are you present in your heart at all? Are you present in your body at all? Or are you still mostly enjoying it from your head? Um, and do just any embodied practices, you know, walking, running, dancing, um, incorporate those into your life is going to be easier to be embodied during sex. And I mean, interestingly, some fives do use sex as sort of a way to get out of their head and into their body because hmm. it's physical. Um, so, you know, lean into that. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, you know, I think embodiment is so important for all the types and I'm sure there's a piece we could talk about that with each of them, but, um, you know, I, I coach a type five regularly and one of the practices that, um, she's discovered and, and takes on in her daily life is just, uh, wiggling her toes in her shoes so that she can remind herself that she's a body and she's present. And so, you know, when her kiddos come home from school and, and there's that emotional exchange of whatever happened on the playground or at the lunch table of, uh, reminding herself to be present because she wants to be present. Um, and so she'll wiggle her toes and her feet to like feel her feet on the floor and to, to be grounded in that moment. Um, so simple things like that. It doesn't have to be, you know, that we escape to the mountainside to, to figure this out. It can be really practical pieces um, to, to bring us back into our body, into our felt sense. That's great. I'm going to try that. Yeah. Yeah. Friends, my conversation with Sam is not nearly over. So if we have not gotten to your number or not gotten to um, the type for your partner, then come back next episode as we explore the rest of the nine numbers, six all the way through to nine, 
but also take a brief look at the instincts and and how that um, instinctual overlay really impacts the way that we show up um, in that space of sexuality. So I'd love for you to come back and learn. Um, And also, if you haven't registered yet, register for the one night instincts event. It is only $25 for you and your partner together. Um, Join in and be curious with the one that you love most. I'll see y'all next time.